Hello and welcome to the Place to Place podcast. I'm Claire Dewhurst, the director of City Nation Place, which is the forum for place brands and place marketing. The idea behind this podcast series is to create a chain of conversations between place branding leaders to give you the opportunity to listen in to honest conversations about their challenges, the solutions they're finding, and the opportunities they're exploring to ensure that their place brand strategies deliver real economic benefits. We're really thrilled that you've chosen to tune in and I hope you enjoy the discussions. But for this episode, it's my pleasure to welcome back Adam Burke, President and Chief Executive of LA Tourism. Welcome back, Adam. Thanks for joining us again. And you've suggested a conversation with someone you know well, Scott Beck, who heads up the team at Tourism Toronto. Welcome, Scott. I know you've chatted many times in the past, you two, so I guess that this gives this link in our chain of connections a slightly different flavour. I know you're keen to chat about issues that you're both dealing with as you're working to evolve the focus and the purpose of your respective destination marketing organisations. And I think that's a key focus for many place marketing organisations around the world. So I'm sure our listeners will be interested to hear you chat this through. Welcome, both of you. I'm very happy to hand over to you, Adam, to take the lead. Over to you. Thanks so much. And again, a huge thank you to the team at City Nation Place for creating this platform where we can really just have honest conversations about some of the opportunities and challenges that we all face. So Scott, welcome. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to pay it forward. And I think it'd be really interesting to hear your perspective on what's different in terms of perhaps how U.S. destinations approach this work versus how the Canadian market does. But the first thing I want to do is really just congratulate you and your team. We just returned a little over two weeks ago from Destinations International's annual convention. And I thought you and your team just did a beautiful job of showcasing what I what is real, really one of my favorite cities in the world. So congratulations to you and your team. Well, thank you, Adam. It, it was our pleasure. For us, it had been a couple of years since we had hosted a large international event just due to the pandemic restrictions that our community put in place. So it was just a, a real honor to be a part of all of it. Well, I think, I think everyone, if they already knew Toronto, was looking forward to coming back. And for those who hadn't been, you walked away with a lot of new fans. So congratulations again. And so knowing we have limited time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in. One of the things that strikes me, I mean, certainly there are so many things we have in common between incredible culinary communities, we're rabid about our sports teams, wonderful arts and cultural offerings. But if I think about it more foundationally, I think that the real thing that LA and Toronto have in common is that we're two of the world's most diverse destinations. So as a jumping off point, I'm curious to know, how does that diversity both inform your organization's role in the community and how you approach programming? Great question. And I think that's probably one of the most impactful reasons why I pursued this opportunity a couple of years ago was I wanted to live in a community that really reflected that ethos of diversity. So I think first and foremost, it informs us by sort of the scope and scale of of what we consider to be, you know, authentically Toronto. And that that is something that I think is informed by a quote that our mayor uses that I think is really key to how that allows us to deliver on this idea of being diverse and the programming that supports that. He says, diversity is a statistic that inclusion is the goal. And if you really impact that, it's quite a profound statement. What we have learned is that, you know, the programming that we do on behalf of the community needs to be broad. And it's really important that all of these various communities see themselves in our work. And so the traditional model of of a lot of DMOs of 
member-centric organizations that, you know, really look at the member to sort of be the way we promote and market the destination. You know, that doesn't really work in communities that have a lot of diversity and therefore have some marginalized communities that are, you know, intrinsic or the, the often overused word authentic in our communities. But it's that idea of, of being seen and being heard that I think is just foundational to the programming that we're doing. Yeah, I love the way your mayor describes that. There's a quote that really resonated with me by a gentleman who's really a leadership in the space. And the way he describes it is that diversity is a fact. Equity is a choice. Inclusion is an action. And belonging is an outcome. And I think that's very much the way your mayor is describing it. Yeah, you know, we are statistically the most diverse city in the world with 52% of our residents in Toronto being born outside of the country of Canada. But again, that's just a statistic. What do we do to make sure that these communities feel seen and they feel you know, part of this whole destination community that we call Toronto? So picking up on that, one of the things you and I have personally spoken quite a bit about is this notion that you know, really we need to think of ourselves as stewardship organizations, that we have a responsibility since we have the privilege of representing our destinations around the world, of being responsible stewards for not just the destination, but for our community and having a positive impact. So I'm curious to know, you know, how would you define stewardship and what type of programming has Destination Toronto implemented based on really looking at it through the lens of stewardship? Well, I think inherent in the word stewardship is the idea of responsibility. Whether you're being a steward for the environment or a steward for your community, it comes with responsibility. And so one of the ways that we've tried to reflect that responsibility of the stewardship we have to represent a diverse community is by setting very, very specific goals for content. So instead of just having a mission statement that says, we will reflect the authenticity of our community, we have specific goals for content, or we have you know numbers where every month we commit to having 10 blog posts from Indigenous content providers. The same goals are set for our Asian community. Just the entire BIPOC community here, we've set definitive goals so that the stewardship and the responsibility is really trackable and quantifiable. And one that I think really has become helpful for us in picking up some of the blind spots that we are just going to have by nature of our our tenure in the organization and or our upbringing. And so I think it's that responsibility of saying, hey, how are we going to make a difference? How are we going to do this? And then setting some really definitive goals to help us meet that responsibility that we have. So I I think you're dead on. There are so many different things we could do as organizations. And I think we have to focus on those things where we feel we can make the most significant impact. And I think part of that is integrating it into our annual business plans. Um, I, I guess it's the notion, if you don't measure it, how do you know if you're making sustained progress? But I think it's also important to recognize that there really is no finish line to the work we're discussing today, that it's really about making sure you set defined, actionable, relevant goals every single year in your business plan, and that you really continue to hold ourselves accountable and make sure that we're doing the things that we say we're committed to. But it sounds like you're saying, we certainly have a role to play in being part of positive solutions. Yeah, I mean, I think for a long time, and I say this with with full respect to the industry that I sort of grew up in. I'm a recovering hotelier is how I I describe this. You and me both. (laughs) Both. And so I think at times, you know, DMO, because of our funding and connection to the hotel industry, there is oftentimes a focus that comes with that dedicated 
funding source that ties us so innately to the hotel community. And that is where I think sometimes we can get myopic, not because hotels are myopic, but because when you when that that funding stream, the, the narrowness of that, but what I've so enjoyed in this community is the recognition by our industry, not just the hotels and the restaurants, but all parts of the visitor economy, is that if we're going to have people have a Toronto experience, it's got to be reflective of this authenticity. It's got to be reflective of who we are and what we are as a really, really diverse city. And so they're really leaning into this idea of, you know, setting these goals, tracking this, these performance. And, and while it is to keep score, it's a little bit more, I think, um, the best way to describe it, it's, it's a little softer than that. It's to make sure that we're telling the right stories. And we've said we've got to track that to make sure that we are. So it's a little less about keeping score than it is about really reflecting that nature of who we are as a community and the destination. And I feel really lucky to be in a community that, that understands that, that it, in order to grow the revenues and make the visitor economy more vibrant, only do that if we're sort of talking about our true self. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And, and actually, that's a great point of clarification. When I talk about kind of the measurability of these things, I think part of the goal there is just there has to be the move from intent to impact. You know, yep. I mean, establishing clear goal, goals so that you can make sure that you're holding yourself accountable and that we're really walking the talk. What seems like kind of a logical bridge here is as we talk about a lot of these things, we've also talked about stewardship being a direct connection to sustainability. That sustainability is one of the critical issues that was facing the industry pre-pandemic. And certainly that's come back in a significant way now. But I think there also seems like there's an opportunity to broaden the definition of sustainability much more than it has been historically defined. Traditionally, we've talked about sustainability in terms of the environment, but what's your view of what sustainability means as a destination stewardship organization? Well, we need five podcasts to cover <laughs> to cover this topic. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit contrarian and, and understand it's a risk uh, in this environment, but I think actually our, our best opportunity as a DMO is to get a little bit more focused and understand that there are a couple of key areas. And I will focus on one. Meetings and events are a big part of our community. And I think one of the ways that we can have the biggest impact in our communities in terms of sustainability is really looking at what we do as locations for business events. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot more but it feels so daunting and so incredibly difficult to sort of eat the elephant in one bite when you talk about the triple bottom line and, and all of the elements that are sort of on some level so out of our control as an industry. You can't be sustainable if, if the city doesn't have a level of sustainability. And I think, again, looking at what is happening in Los Angeles with so many positive opportunities for leadership there, we're going to focus on one element of sustainability to really create our ethos. And that's going to be in the meetings and events space. That makes so much sense. I think part of it is the idea of you can't boil the ocean. So what right. are the things, <laughs> you know, so so then rather than making small impacts in a lot of areas, what are the areas where you really focus attention? One of the things in LA that we tried to do to your point is talk about what is the role of a destination organization as it relates to the visitor experience? Because I think, you know, traditionally there's been the, we're responsible for promoting the destination, but it's really the leaders of our community who are responsible for what the experience is. And I think increasingly we felt like, well, wait a minute, we need to be more resident centric. We need to make sure that because what is good for residents is by definition good for visitors. If there's anything that's negatively impacting our community, by extension, it will negatively impact visitors and we need to help be the voice 
to try and focus on that. And I think that ties to what you're saying about what is the experience, not just for leisure guests, but for our group customers. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I'm sensing is that I think on some level, people feel the ocean is boiling. And me not using a plastic water bottle is not going to impact the boiling of the ocean. <laughs> I, I, almost, I almost feel like that's kind of where we are at, on some level. And I think leaning into what you've just said about you know your experience in LA and what you're doing, I think that oftentimes we say, let's create a market for sustainability and the consumer that wants that. And then that will be the impetus for our community to change. And I'm one that believes the community really needs to em- embrace whatever their definition is of sustainability. And then we can reflect that. I, I don't think an external force like consumer is going to drive big systemic change in a community. But recognizing the visitor experience is part of that vibrant economy has us at the table. And that's where I think we're looking to the leadership that you're providing in that area where once the community understands the vibrancy that our industry brings to the community, we're going to be at those tables to talk about things like visitor experience and be able to address the sustainability from the visitor perspective. So I think one of the things you're alluding to, Scott, and I think this has been a significant change is that to a degree, there's been a passivity almost in terms of our role with the visitor experience. And I think that doesn't, it really does a disservice to our community and to our organization. It sounds like what you're saying is if we expect to create a positive experience, not just for our group attendees, but also individual leisure travelers, that what we really need to do is have a seat at the table and inform those discussions about what is positively or negatively impacting the visitor experience. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I think, again, emulating so much of what you did during the pandemic and, and post-pandemic, of, and, and some of it was just a factor of having our industry gone for <laughs> a year in our communities. Yeah. They said, oh, damn, that, that's a big part of our community. And that's an opportunity that we need to seize as an industry where we may not, you know, we don't own anything and we don't manage anything. But speaking on behalf of the visitor economy, can really come with a lot of influence. And I think that's where we have a bold, brave new opportunity in the world of sustainability to have influence. And I think we need to find really concrete ways that we can show impact. And we've chosen as a community for that to be in business events first and foremost. I'd just like to interrupt this chat for a minute. There's so much to take in and learn from the conversation that we might well welcome a quick break. We're currently planning and building the agenda for the flagship City Nation Place Global Conference. And if you're enjoying listening to the thought leaders in this specialized world of place brands and place marketing, then I'm confident you'll want to be there. We'll be in London over the 9th and 10th of November, and you can find out more at citynationplace.com. Our first confirmed speakers are from places as diverse as Barcelona, Costa Rica, Fiji, Tasmania, and Vancouver Island. So I hope to see you there. So I'm going to switch gears for a second. One of the things you alluded to earlier, Scott, is the fact that I think LA and Toronto are probably two of the most diverse cities in the world. It's very much like the reason you took the job in Toronto. One of the things I love being in Angelino, um, you know, people in LA come from 140 different countries, speak over 220 different languages. But going back to that earlier quote about there's a significant difference between diversity and inclusion, clearly there's still so much work ahead of us to really create a more equitable and inclusive travel and tourism industry. We were both signatories to a recent allyship commitment letter that was issued by Destinations International and was supported by over 115 destination CEOs who identify as being part of the white community. So one of the things I'm curious about is 
what does allyship mean to you and how, as a white leader in the industry, can we use our position to really drive for systemic change? I think first and foremost, allyship means to me a commitment to recognition and recognition that's enabled by listening. So, you know, my non-white peers, you know, when I say I'm their ally, it means I've listened to them. I've recognized the need is defined by them. As white leaders, we need to recognize that there is a problem and assume responsibility to be a part of finding those solutions and setting the goals within our communities so that we can, again, take that mantle and stewardship and that responsibility and be vocal about it. So I signed on because I wanted my peers in the industry and specifically my non-white peers to know that I've been listening and I'm committed to being a part of change. Yeah. And one of the things we had talked about is, you know, there's a certain irony where I think it's, we have to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And one of them is, I mean, look at this podcast, you know, what are two white guys doing talking about diversity. And I think the answer is because we need to recognize that we've been the beneficiaries of certain things because societally there have been advantages offered to members of the white community that simply have not been universally available to other marginalized groups. One of the things that I think we've talked about is for those of us who've been in the industry for quite a while, you think about how diverse was your peer set when you started in the industry and then as you get to more senior levels, does that same level of diversity and inclusion, is it still represented? And I think the answer is clearly no. And that's why I totally agree with you. I think we have to listen and then we have to use what we hear to help elevate and advocate for all marginalized communities. One of the things kind of leading from that that I think you've done a tremendous job with is I know in Canada, for example, there has been a major effort toward recognition and also reconciliation with First Nation peoples. And I'm wondering if you can share a bit about that work and how you've integrated it into the mission of Destination Toronto. Well, thank you, Adam. It's been you know, an incredible opportunity for me to, to come to a community that had that ethos. It, it began long before I started, and it's been one of the best both personal and professional learning experiences I've ever had. I think that, yeah, there's been a, an incredible reckoning of the community that they've got to do better and be more cognizant of the impact of the indigenous community. And I think what I have been really taken by is the work that we've been doing in conjunction with the indigenous community. We use uh, something called a land acknowledgement before all of our major events. You saw it when you were here for Destinations International. And one of the things that we've really developed or helped to develop for our community is an understanding of where that land acknowledgement is to be used. So working with the Indigenous Tourism Association of Ontario, we created this series of conversations around land acknowledgements. And what we did was we had this led by the Indigenous community telling us, you know, this this is what it means to us. And there isn't, you know, one size fits all, but giving some direction to how we can best and most appropriately rep represent their community. And then the thing that I think has been the most impactful to me is uh, some of the comments made by the community about looking at the Indigenous community historically or traditionally is what we've tended to do in the tourism industry. You know, you put them on stage in traditional costumes, and they do a traditional dance. And what they've said to us is, you know, we have current artists, we have hip hop artists, we have artists who are doing, you know, graffiti and look to us in the current context. And boy, that was a learning opportunity for me. I, I want to pick up on something you just said, Scott, because I think it's so insightful, which is this idea of actively listening to the community. We actually in LA created a community advisory board 
representing the kind of five primary marginalized communities. And I think one of the things as destination leaders who identify as being part of the white community, we really have an opportunity to shoulder some of that load. One of the things I think we've both heard is it's difficult enough to not have the same level of opportunity because of institutionalized systemic racism and discrimination, but it's then doubly hard where as a member of a marginalized community, you're expected to be the one to constantly raise the issue and push for change. So I think part of what you're describing is for us to really stand alongside and help shoulder some of that burden. So we're lifting up our voices to help advocate for those who are marginalized so they don't have to also be the ones to always be pushing that issue forward. Will you agree with that way of approaching it? Yeah, I think therein lies our ultimate responsibility here as, as destination marketing professionals in that, you know, finding ways to authentically give voice to the diversity that is a natural part of our communities is so important for us. And I think will lead to, to this, to some of the systemic change that comes by not hearing these voices. And to me, that is a responsibility that I feel so strongly here and feel lucky to have people from these communities who are willing to share and, and willing to educate, <laughs> not just share, but educate you know, a, a white man in, in his 50s on, on how to make an impact with, with the, the future opportunity. Well, and, and I'd certainly encourage any listener. I mean, if you want to talk to a destination that really is doing some remarkable work, give Scott a call or shoot him an email because I think Toronto has done a remarkable job, not just with First Nation peoples, but also in terms of, as he described it, authentically talking to the community, listening, and then acting as a destination to help elevate those communities. So, you know, I think Scott's a tremendous resource. So while we have a couple more minutes, Scott, what closing thoughts do you have on how you think we need to evolve both as destination leaders, but as destination organizations? We've talked a lot about, we don't want to go back to normal. We want to create a new normal. So how do you think we need to evolve moving forward as we move from a pandemic to endemic phase? Well, I think everything we've talked about today on this podcast, you know, very intentionally really talks about the word or concept of community. And I think one of the things that I hope we can look to the future of is one of the things that, again, I, we've tried to emulate based on so much of the work that you've done. And that's, you know, elevating the vibrancy that the visitor economy brings to our community and recognizing that that visitor economy and the community that delivers it is where the secret sauce comes for each of our destinations. And I think if we can look to be that entity that really represents, again, the vibrancy of the visitor economy, we can then become advocates and allies and, and do those things to get the inclusion that is evident in our communities and get that out for people to experience. I hope that's the future is I, I hope we get away from talking about things like membership and and that we're not just hotel room night salespeople, but we are we are the organizations that represent the vibrancy of the visitor economy. And within that becomes an enormous amount of responsibility and stewardship. I think that's the perfect close to this. I love the way you describe it. We talk about it in terms of we really need to become part of the fabric of our community. I think, you know, perhaps for too long, destination organizations have sat someone on the periphery. And I think what you're describing is we need to be part of the fabric of our community. Is, is that right? Yeah. And the fabric, but also I think, you know, fabric in the context of what we represent and what we represent is 
a, a vibrant economy. Our role is to grow the impact of the visitor economy. It's plain and simple. And I think what we're realizing, I hope as an industry, is the very best way to have a vibrant visitor economy is to sort of accurately, accurately, I, I try not, I'm trying not to use the word authentically, represent your community. And in most communities, that means having a much more diverse and inclusive voice for the community. So it is about the fabric, but I, I, do, I really feel compelled to make sure that it's the economic fabric as well. That makes perfect sense. Well, listen, I know we have, you know, probably run a little bit over time, but, you know, as always, Scott, I love having these conversations <laughs> with you. You know, typically they're over drinks, but this might be a bit early in the morning for that. Although after the past two years, perhaps not. But thank you so much for always being so generous with your time. And so just my sincere thanks. And I can't wait to see who you do your next podcast with so we can continue this dialogue. I was honored to get the invitation and I genuinely have appreciated every one of our talks, whether that be in the morning over coffee or, as you noted, with drinks Thank you both so much. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Scott. So good to hear such an honest appraisal of challenges and I guess also, of course, the opportunities for place marketing organisations who are ready to evolve that important relationship with the community and, of course, the place economy. And Scott, I look forward to our next session where you'll be adding the next link in the chain. And we're going to set up a conversation between you and Lynn Lewis-Smith, who is the Chief Executive of be Sydney, the organisation tasked with attracting business events to Sydney to deliver economic and social impact for the city and for the New South Wales region of Australia. Looking forward to that. And thank you also for listening. We hope you'll join us too for that next episode of the Face to Place podcast. 